You're listening to episode number 75 with Grum. Welcome back to Your Music Industry Podcast. It's your host here, Daniel Fish, helping you survive and thrive in music by connecting you to those insights, those stories, and those experiences from people who have been in your shoes and have been on that journey too. So first I want to kick off this episode by saying a huge thank you to everyone who commented, DM'd and even emailed me about last week's episode. I knew it was a special one. Kid Massive from the Mindset Sessions spoke about mindset, spoke about purpose, desire, perspective, so many fundamental topics that sometimes we forget about as music producers. We can get so focused on the external world of actually making music in the DAW we're not starting with ourselves and honestly if you haven't checked that out I would highly recommend it so we're in a time now in the music business where certain income like gigs is looking like it's going to be on hold for a fair few months and it can leave the question what can I do are there any other aspects or income streams that I can monetize there certainly are and on Monday I dropped a new video called how to make money from music in lockdown. And we're exploring the alternate income streams you can monetize as an artist in music. And alternate ones too that you might either not know about or know how to use. And with each one, I give examples of platforms, websites, and the process of doing that. So if you'd like to check out that video, the link is in the description. And consider hitting that subscribe button to be one of my first 100 subscribers so I can finally get my own YouTube channel URL. The small things in life, eh? Anyway, let's get to this episode's guest. So on today's show, as you will have heard in the introduction, we have Grum. Grum, in my opinion, is one of the finest producers to come out of Scotland and is a joy to be covering all aspects of music production. On this podcast, we're talking about writing music, writing albums, the story of that, the progression, but also things like dealing with frustration, as there is a little story later on in the podcast to do with one of his albums. Welcome to the show, Graham or Grum. Has like lockdown throwing a spanner in the work for kind of your touring schedule then, or were you scheduled to be more at home now? Hiya, yeah, thanks for having me. Yes, I mean, lockdown has completely thrown everything. <laughs> I've been at home now for eight weeks. I had a bunch of shows cancelled in the US. I was meant to go there like nine weeks ago. Everything mm. kind of got pulled last minute. So now we're just waiting to see what's coming next. I think everybody's sort of preparing for maybe next year before we get back to normal. So that's where we're at. Yeah, because isn't like Canada and America like one of the biggest like places for kind of your sound and your brand at the moment? Yeah, especially in the US. That was where I toured the most in the last few years. So yeah, you know, if, without inter- international travel, it's completely changed the landscape. Because if you think back to what, like 10, 15 years ago, trance in the UK was like staple or like the progressive sound. And while it's still kind of there, it's not as much. So maybe with the the travel restrictions and only trance DJs like based in the, the country will be able to travel around. Hopefully that'll spark something, but we will certainly see. <laughs> I was thinking that, but it might help local scenes in some ways. You know, it might help them develop and help more local artists to get recognition, but we'll see. Because especially with the lockdown, if the if certain mass gatherings are banned, you might only only like the intimate venues that like might be allowed. So then there's the opportunity there to for like a little kind of intimate culture to proper thrive, which is a good staple for kind of trances. I'm a big lover of the euphoric sound and there's nothing better than being in a tight intimate venue with a lot of people is there yeah yeah definitely i mean 
I think there'll, there'll definitely be opportunities that arise from you know this difficult situation and things will change. So uh, yeah, it could happen. Might be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll find out. Let's stay tuned. Yeah. So I had the pleasure of catching your shit at Creamfields last year and even during my very first Creamfields in 2016, I caught you there. And not only in this time, but for years now, you've developed as an artist, but there's always been that like grum secret sauce in there if you know what i mean it's like you just know it's a grum production and in case any of the listeners haven't had the chance to listen to your music which i'll put links to in the show notes in words would you be able to all like describe or explain your productions and maybe like the experience you intend a listener to go through while listening Sure. Yeah, it's interesting you say that there's some special sauce or something because I don't actually know what that is. <laughs> I've heard I've heard that <laughs> a few times from from different people, and you know, like they recognize, you know, they they knew my older music, which was more eighties inspired, and they like the new stuff. And there's, you know, they can always tell it's me, even though I kind of change style. I don't know what it is, but it's certainly interesting to hear that. And so, what was the second part? Yeah, it was like kind of like with your productions. How could you describe them? What experience do you intend like listeners to feel, or in like the live set, and what does that look like or sound like? Yeah, I, it's hard to explain really. It's more. I mean, when I'm making music, I'm, I'm not really thinking about it. It's you're, you're just kind of feeling it, and you're like, you know, if it feels good and it sounds good, then it, it works. And I'm never consciously thinking I want to do this or that. It's kind of more of an expressive thing. I mean, in terms of my live sets, there's there's definitely thought put into them in terms of where I want to start, where I want to go. And you're kind of like painting a palette with music. You know, well, you're, you're painting a picture with music. Your palette is the different tracks. Create a feeling, I suppose. But some of my best sets have been ones where there's absolutely zero planning, I would say. So it just depends on the circumstances. Yeah, there's a lot to say that. And I really do love that, how you just, just sit in the studio and express. Because as, as you said there, some, some people can get too kind of, not strategic, but think too much where they end up like emulating yeah. another artist or f trying to fit things into a, a square box when music is about expression but also art isn't it you you want like we said that that grum secret sauce you want that in there definitely i mean for me everything tends to fall apart when i think too much it's better if you remove the brain and just from your heart straight into the computer <laughs> if you you know that's one way to put it i love that in your journey graham you've transcended through different kind of genres and sounds but as i said there's always been that secret source there didn't you and correct me if i'm wrong but didn't you kind of initially start in like electro kind of poppy sound and now progress into kind of the funnily enough progressive kind of trance world so when i first started to get recognition for my music i was doing more this was like 2007 2008 when this happened and i was doing more i mean around that time it was like ed banger i don't know if you remember that label which is justice busy p people like that and that was this kind of french electro sound which was that was really cool at the time that sound got me really excited and i was like i want to you know i want to do this i want to want to get involved with this so uh, you know i started to make some music like that and it was like the per it was like the perfect storm because at that time the music industry on the internet was really in its infancy i would say and there, there were musical scenes which were separate to sort of the mainstream and separate to mainstream dance music. So this kind of electro sound was very internet based and you had music blogs which were run very well and they would, they would promote music and write about music and they had real passion for it. And it was it was like a hobbyist thing, right? So it was just this bunch of perfect timing where I was writing the right kind of music and these blogs existed which created this real scene around the world. And that that really launched me. I kind of went from there, signed with Kevin, who ran, who worked with Milo before, and he signed me to do my first album, which is called Heartbeats, and that came out in 2010. And then 
that that scene kind of changed. The, the problem with that scene was it never really got huge. Justice were big, you know, they were big stars, but the, the scene itself was always kind of niche and it never really got that huge. And it started to evolve into more Deep House and some of the guys that were making Electro started to make Deep House and it all kind of started changing and it all maybe fell apart. That's probably too strong, but it, it just evolved. And so after that album came out, I wanted to move on. It was a case of evolving the sound and seeing where I could go next. So I actually worked on a follow-up album to Heartbeats, which was, that was called Human Touch. And that one never actually came out. I don't know if you know about that. No, I didn't actually, Graham. That one was with the same label. It was it was definitely an evolution. So it was more inspired by 90s kind of orbital, sort of more rave music from back then. But in, in the end, the label ended up not releasing it and it kind of fell through the cracks. There were some singles off it that came out. You can probably find them if you dig around. There's one called Every Time, which was quite decent. So that happened and that, that took me up to like 2013. And then after that, I kind of got disillusioned in a way with the whole album cycle. The way things worked back then was like, you do an album, promote it with the press, and everything hinged on this album. So if you didn't get radio support from the first single, if you didn't get like mixed mag support from the first single, then the kind of enthusiasm for the whole project waned. And that's what happened with that second album. We didn't quite get the support that we wanted. And it made me kind of see how it worked. And it got me really disillusioned with having to rely on all these parts of the industry to make your project successful. And so I decided I wanted to go more into viewing things in a more long-term way, growing my own sound, building my own fan base, and being able to kind of do what I want, really, without having to get Mixed Mag's approval, for example. And that kind of led me to where I am now. That must have been a huge, like, excuse the phrase, but like a kick in the balls, because you've spent so long. It's not just a single, it's not an EP, it's a whole album for it to just be dropped like that. So what was going through your head at the time? Was it just like... I'm fed up with music, I'm fed up with the industry, I don't like how it works when you say disillusioned, or was it going through that that gave you the space to then find where you wanted to be in the industry? So it's like a failure that set you up for success? I think it wasn't quite as negative as that. You know, it was mm. more, I kind of looked at what was happening and I looked at my experience and decided, all right, let, let's find a different way to do this. It was more of a positive thing. I would say seeing how you can be this new hype act and you get hyped up as new and all this. Like when I did that first album, we had sort of coverage in The Guardian and this kind of thing. And that's all from, you know, you, you get a PR agency and they pitch it and then they might cover it. But then once once your once your hype cycle is over, then they move on to the next person who's in that hype cycle. So it's hard to build a sustainable career that way. Definitely happy that I decided to do what I did and where where I've got to now. If you had that chance now, like uh, this is probably quite like philosophical or quite weird, but if you could go back now to like either before the release of that album or in the production and give yourself one piece of advice, whether it is to do with how to deal with maybe the, not the negativity, but the whole situation, what would that one piece of advice be maybe? Or would it be a thought? Would it be a practice of how to chill out? The advice that I always think back to and always refer back to is you should you should always follow your gut with making these kind of decisions. And especially as, as a kind of younger artist, you're involved with people who are kind of guiding you. Sometimes you should kind of put your foot down, I would say. Stay true to uh, what you think. Because, you know, there's, there's, there's people who work in music and... You know, they have experience in things, but, you know, they're not always right. And I think sometimes you just have to go with what you think and tell them that. <laughs> and I guess that's from, like, not just, like, collaborators, but management, record labels, the whole, like, kind of, like, tribe that you have as an artist. Exactly, yeah. It's definitely important to have the right people around you 
who believe in you and want you to do your thing and let you do your thing. That's so special. I couldn't agree more with that, Graham. So I'd like to, for a moment, talk about the transition from kind of the electro sound to more the the trancier sound. And was there any like particular like aha moments or any particular challenges that helped you kind of shape into the grum we know and love today? Well, actually, before I did the electro stuff, I used to love trance. <laughs> ah, um, makes sense. <laughs> so I used to, you know, I'm late 90s. I was like in my mid-teens. You know, dance music had a real special moment back then, like 98 to 2002, I would say, was like the peak of trance for me anyway. And yeah, that was like the thing. And I, I loved it. And I, you know, I used to buy vinyl. I had, had decks at home. I used to just, you know, bedroom DJ mixing trance. That was, I loved it. It was my, my passion for a while. Um, and that, that's what actually got me into producing in the first place. So I kind of, I suppose I went full circle and went back to what I originally loved. In terms of an aha moment, I think the scene I was involved in, the kind of more electro stuff, it was all very cool. And there was a lot of it was about image and things. And as I got older, I kind of cared less and less about that. I think that's a general thing everybody experiences. And I just want, it was more about the music for me. And it was more about like, I want to create amazing moments for, you know, in, in venues, amazing experiences via music. And I think sort of trance and progressive is a great platform to do that with. Really couldn't agree more. The, the euphoria of it and everything. I'm, I'm a huge fan myself. And as I've already said, yeah. I'd very like for a moment to talk about kind of originally, you were from Glasgow, that's correct, isn't it? Um, I'm originally from more east, born in Edinburgh. Ah, okay. But I live, I live near Glasgow at the moment, yeah. I lived in Glasgow for a few years too. Okay, so from my understanding, a bit of Glaswegian culture, but also Scotland, from here in Liverpool, trance has always been like quite interweaved into the society or the, the electronic music culture in Scotland until recent years with like kind of the, the blowing up of techno or tech house and all that kind of stuff. Was that kind of really pivotal in those early years, even when creating that electro sound for like kind of, when you say about expressing music, kind of knowing the feeling you want to kind of create in that music or the, how it makes you feel, how you enjoy your own tracks? Yeah, when I was growing up, so I lived um, near Bathgate. Bathgate is a small town, but um, it had a big um, nightclub called Room at the Top. And people, it, you know, it was like, you know, they used to call them super clubs. And they'd have big DJ lineups every week. Where Bathgate is, it's between Edinburgh and Glasgow, so people could travel there quite easily. You know, they'd put on buses and send, you know, people would come over, big big groups of people. That's what folk mm. used to do back then. So, you know, having that, I wasn't old enough to go. <laughs> um, but having that on your doorstep, I think definitely is is a kind of inspiration. And also, also back then there was a radio station called Beat 106. It started up like locally around the time when I was really getting into dance music and it was purely dance music and you know they'd have like house music during the day they'd have a trance you know trance in the evenings they'd have like hard trance and all the specialist stuff and that was definitely a big um, inspiration for me I used to record the sets on mini disc and then go to like a record shop and see if I could pick up some of the vinyls that they were playing and that kind of thing and that was that was really what what it was about for me <laughs> On that note of vinyl, there's nothing like more special with vinyl and not only having the record in your hand, but like the artwork and to have your album Deep State pressed on vinyl, that must have been special as well, like all the releases that you've had. Yeah, vinyl is a very nice, tangible thing to have. I've got a copy on my wall just over there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nice to hold it in your hand. I don't actually have decks anymore. 
so maybe I should buy them again. <laughs> you use a Denon setup, don't you, for DJing at home? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't have vinyl decks. Though. In terms of like that Denon setup, was was there anything in particular that drew you to Denon, or is it just kind of a love you've had? Have you got relationships with the team? I'm, I'm really curious because like the the classic typically is Pioneer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of people talking about that actually from you know on the streams. A lot of people are very interested in the Denon decks. So yeah, we have a kind of relationship with the Denon guys. You know, that, that obviously helped. But I mean, look, you know, there's other people who make decks out there like Pioneer. And I think the Denons are good value for what you get. And the features, they seem to be listening to what people want. They're really solid. I quite like the software as well. The Prime Engine software on the computer, that works quite well. And it's good for organizing. And does the green go well with you, like your brand aesthetic? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, now you mentioned that, I think it does. Yeah, after this podcast, all the Anjuna team will all be getting a, a big contract with Denon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, red and black sleeves for every, uh, green and black sleeves for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? Touching on that, I'd like to dive into the Anjuna kind of world for a minute because obviously you have signed over the years with a few different labels, but a big bulk of it has been with Anjuna. And I've got a friend who works on the team in there, and mm-hmm. I do love kind of the family that they have. It does feel like such a interconnected kind of. While it has got a fan base, it is a family between the artists and the team. Is was is that your experience too? Yeah, definitely. It's 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 definitely got that family uh, vibe to it. Yeah, it's really nice to be a part of that. In some ways, it's like it's its own scene. You know, there's some people just like Anjuna. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not a bad thing, but it's, it's quite, I think it's quite unusual. But the the fans are very uh, supportive. So, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I think in the modern music industry, that's the way that it's going now. You kind of build this family fan base, and similar artists are a part of that, and it all works well for everybody. Is that something you're or kind of like that vision or that interconnected kind of subculture as a brand? Is that something you're trying to do with the new labels for Deep State Recordings? The goal at the moment is just to build just to build it and sign great music and release great music. We we had started doing events, like we did we did London for the album launch as a Deep State event. And we, we had some more coming up. We were meant to be doing Miami Music Week before all this stuff happened. And some other things in the US were coming. So you know, we wanted to, to build it as a record label and events brand, really, based on quality and, and merit, you know. And, you know, a community will probably come from that, but probably, you know, slightly different approach to Anjuna. So out of curiosity, how are you kind of like measuring the success and impact of Deep State as a label? Is there anything in particular you're looking out for other than just great music? How are you measuring if it's going to, if it is successful? You know, it's, it's quite difficult for new labels to break in to, you know, Beatport is, is the main the main thing for DJs. So it's quite difficult to break into that and, you know, really smash the charts up as a new label because you're kind of competing with some of the more established ones. So in terms of like chart performance, I don't think we're not really looking at that at the moment. So that that's not really for us. That's not really how we're measuring it. But I think as long as people are engaged and are really enjoying the music we're putting out then i'm happy those kind of measurable things will come later but so far i'm really happy with the artists we've got involved we've got like Andon. we have some more stuff coming out you know we've also got stereo underground to just put a really good ep yeah we've, we've got some great stuff coming out in the next few months as well sia are doing an ep for us from spain really like their music too so that's going to be a good one I have got to say the releases so far are like impeccable, especially for me in particular. And I think it's, you say Kinsel or Kinsol. Yeah. The, the 
it's so tight and energetic. It's just phenomenal. And I'd love to kind of talk about like now going from being an artist DJ, obviously playing other people's music out live to now like signing them and becoming a big part of their journey. How are you kind of deciding what to sign to Deep State? As one of the podcast listeners, Artoria, who's um, Liam Daly, he's asked like, what are you looking for? Is he's really interested to try and try and get in there in the future? Well, firstly, it has to be something that I would play in my sets that would work with what I do. I feel like there's a niche that we're kind of maybe filling a little bit in that we're looking for stuff that has depth, musicality and energy. I think the energy thing is missing from some of the other stuff around there. So I think that's maybe where we have an edge. You know, good energy and being catchy helps as well. Yeah, 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 definitely. Is that something, say like with the album, because we'll be definitely diving into the album in a moment, is when you're writing a track, like the energy, the catchiness, is that something you're always looking for? Is that how you like have that gut feeling when you know like this track is ready or this track deserves more time to finish or again it's it's that gut feeling thing i mean i I can't really i can't really say exactly what i'm doing when i'm making stuff but yeah if if i was to look at all the music i've put out you know you know kind of analyze it and say what what it has in common definitely has to be hooky definitely has to have energy so i think that's kind of what i'm what i'm about yeah Thanks for sharing that, Graham. So I would really like to dive into the album, as even though it came out last year, it really does deserve a deep dive. As <laughs> the tracks are amazing for me personally, Afterglow and Lose Control are my top ones of the album. But they're the all are phenomenal. But also the I hate to call it like the final drop, but like the the climax, the final climax, and Stay is just so like euphoric. It's just amazing. But mm, thanks before no, no problem before. This album, you've of course always done other albums as you've progressed through your career, but a lot of being like singles and EPs, and I'd love to dive into the difference of making an album compared to singles and EPs, and does it differ, and if so, how? But also, what do you think works best for you? Is what feels more natural? Sure. Yeah, so for me, making albums is the thing. That's that's what I really enjoy. If you're doing singles, you're kind of you're kind of on this treadmill of needing to pump out a new single like every month or every six weeks. Like that's that's what you have to do just to stay relevant, which is kind of sad. But um, you know that's how it works. And the problem with that is it doesn't leave so much room for creativity. It doesn't really let you develop your own thing so much because you're having to fit that in with what everybody else is doing and what DJs are playing. The thing, but the good thing I like about doing an album is you you can kind of take a step back, go into your own space, and come up with something cohesive that that's maybe a little bit different from everything else but but works by itself and really helps you plant your flag as to what you're about and also you can sort of develop a tour concept from that and that works it works better for touring as well because you can just go and do like your main album tour and then you know after that it helps touring as well because you know you do a great album tour then you can tour even more after that so yeah albums just you know that's that's the way i like to work definitely and a lot of your work is in the box now, all plugins and software based now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I've I've been that way for six, seven years. Yep. The first album was all made in the box as well, surprisingly. I've got to say, like, even as soon as you press play on like the first track, especially the Deep States, the first track, isn't it? The mm-hmm. everything sounds so like warm. I don't know if that's through the mastering or through the mix down and your processing, but is there anything in particular that you've used, whether you can, I don't know if it's like your secret weapon or not, how you really add that kind of warmth to your sounds, especially like the melodic synth lines? You know, it's it's something I've heard a lot, but again, I don't, 
I don't really know what it is. You know, I'm, I'm all right at writing music, but I'm not, I'm not great at like mixed hands. <laughs> mm. uh, like self, self-confessed that I don't think I'm that great. For, for me, like the, the thing I like in music is I do like a warm sound. I like that nice low end. I don't like the mids to be too harsh. I don't like the high end to be too harsh. But I think that's just something I do subconsciously. It's just, you know, I never th- sit down and go, right, let's process that hi-hat to make it less harsh. You know, I'll just I'll just <laughs> choose a hi-hat sound that sounds nice to me. I don't know really what it is in particular, but it's just, yeah, it's something I've always liked. You know, if, if you hear, hear music on a big system, you want the low end to be warm. You don't want it to be like crushing your eardrums with mid-range. So I, I think it's just a natural thing that comes out. The sound that like you just said it's your rear it's like when you're going through and developing the sound or whether it's picking the kick or the hat or you're going through the samples it's knowing what you like so you're not making it that way the sound is already that way whether it's the notation of musicality when writing the music it's kind of you're crafting that before you even get to kind of the processing side of things aren't you yeah for me i think a big part of the sound is just choosing the right sounds in the first place like my processing is pretty minimal. I mean, it's usually just basic EQ and some kind of stereo imaging stuff. I'm kind of getting into saturation as well. Gen X was telling me about that. But yeah, minimal processing is part of my sound, I would say. In terms of the saturation, what plugins in particular? Is it decapitated with the punish button from Sound Toys or is it like Logic Zone? I'm not sure what Logic Zone is called, but what 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 kind of plugins is it that you're testing out? Yeah, Decapitator been recommended. There's a soft tube harmonic processor or something like that. It's like their own version of Decapitator. I think it's a little bit smoother. And yeah, there's there's one built in built into Logic called Fat FX and it has like some different distortion and saturation settings in it. Apparently it's really good. I haven't really used it, but you know, if, if anybody listening has Logic and they want to try it without spending money, apparently it'll do the job as well. So On that note, have you upgraded to ten point five? Yeah, I just I just did that. What's your thoughts? Because to me, it's like almost Logic 11. <laughs> the, those kind of Ableton-like features, I mean, I don't think I'll use them. What else was new in it? I think that was that was a major thing, right? The sampler as well, so, no yeah, more right. ESX24, thank God. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm quite glad about that because I hated EXS. <laughs> like, it was terrible. I mean, I, I use EXS for drums. Like, I program all my drums, really. And all those instruments have now transferred to the new sampler, so it's just a case of business as usual for me but yeah it's the new interface on the sampler is much nicer so that's good so i'd like to just kind of dive in maybe combine what we've just spoke about with logic and also the album how do you actually approach like writing the track say for example on the album maybe stay or lose control or even the ascent Mm -hmm. what were like the ingredients where did you begin and then does every track have like a natural progression or does one track start at the drop or one track start at the intro? What's your like workflow like? For the album, for the Deep State album, it was kind of made over, there were some projects that were a little bit older and some stuff that was, you know, I, p- I pulled in some older ideas and for the album and there was some stuff that was written, you know, nearer to the release date. So there's different processes for each track, really. It was, you know, a touring as well. You, you kind of doing little bits here and there when you can, sometimes on the plane and all this kind of thing. So I think, you know, there was all kind of different ways of doing things for each track. But so specific tracks, Lose Control, for example, I think that one started out as I started out with some vocal and I messing around with it. And I came up with this melody, which was very similar to the Alien and Kane Open Your Eyes. <laughs> and I was like, damn, OK, what, what, you know, what can we do with this? And in the end, you know, you, you can't really mess around with these things. So we, in the end, we we sort of cleared it officially with their, their publisher. And it's, you know, it's like a writer split. 
between me and the original writer. So that worked out okay. But in terms of like putting the actual track together, it was the melody and it was the bass line. That, your, your bass progression and melody, that's the two main components for me. And then the kick underneath and then, you know, the percussion is usually comes after the way I work. I don't really do so much groove-based stuff. It's more about the melody and the drive. So maybe that's kind of sort of back to front to the way that most people work, but it works for me. I think that is especially in this kind of genre and sound it is all about the the feeling the harmony the melodic progression so I, I, to- I totally agree with that and I don't think there is a, a right or wrong way it's it's down to what works for you and as, as you said there that's what worked for you and that's how that track was created yeah what about maybe like afterglow or even stay yeah I was just going to say as well that the thing I usually do when I'm working is I'll start with the highest point like with loose control the, the highest point is that main drop well there's two of them but I'll start with that and just loop that and once you've got your highest point sorted it's easier to do the lower points typically how i work so looking at those other tracks afterglow that vocal was recorded for a different demo track kind of a convoluted story with that one and i ended up remixing that writing new music around it so i already had the vocal to work with and that made made things easier in some ways but again with that one it, it was you know write those main melodic parts and make that fit with the vocal and the bass so that you've got these three components working together and to create that feeling, you know. So that was that one. And with, with Stay, that was kind of unusual, actually, because that was another vocal that was, it already existed. And I had, like, these disparate ideas. I had, like, the bass line. I had that kind of trance, you know, on the final drop, there's this sort of trance lead that comes in. I had that part. And I had this acid part, which is sort of the main hook of the track, I suppose, or one of them. They were all sort of in different parts of the track. So the acid line was, like, the intro, and then the trance, trance bit was, like, the main drop. And yeah, and ended up swapping them around so that the acid bit became the main hook and the sort of translate later as an extra final push. So that was that was like a puzzle that was solved, <laughs> that track. That's awesome. Thanks for really giving some insight into the workflow of them and the creativity behind them. And I think for me, especially with like Afterglow, the way it just opens up over time, it's wonderful. And I, I love tracks like that, that just like take you on a journey instead of it like being kind of like A to B to B to C. It kind of just like very opens up and I think that's wonderful. And mm-hmm. for one moment, Graham, I understand there might be some legal clauses here so you might not be able to fully express the story but I'd like to take a different perspective on it is for anyone listening who's a fan to your music they will understand there was a bit of a delay with the release of the album which was no fault of your own yep would you be able to enlighten without breaking any clauses in any contracts the reason and why and maybe what you learned from the experience and maybe what you could pass on to other artists if they're in that same situation it's difficult to discuss it. There's there's not any clauses that I'm afraid of breaking. There were other people involved in the album. Maybe I can explain it with a, a lesson. Yeah, okay. uh, be careful yeah. who you work with, basically. That, that's the lesson. Be, be careful who you work with. There were other people involved and there were problems created by other people. Which must have been really frustrating because you've spent time making music with said people and you've made a product and a, a, a piece of art. Yeah, it's, it's very frustrating. I mean, the album was delayed for a year. I mean, I hadn't. I think I had no music out for a year, basically, almost a year. You know, it's really frustrating. You know, it's also competitive, and if you don't have music out, it's very hard to sort of continue building. So that was annoying. But you know, actually, in some ways, it, it helped. It helped me. The good that's come out of it was working with different people. Now I now have my back catalogue back. I own it all. The first two albums so i've got them back got my publishing back you know from my old tracks so that, you know that was another thing so i'm kind of control my old music and i can sort of do what i want with it now which is also why the old heartbeats album has disappeared from some streaming sites and a lot of people have been asking so that's why it's gone but we're looking to put it back out there so 
in that moment, obviously you you must have been really frustrated. How did you kind of, I hate to say deal with it, but how did you like kind of, because obviously you must have, through that experience, you must have maybe felt maybe a bit angry as well as annoyed and maybe confused. But is there any like practices you had or anything you did in your spare time to maybe just like not chill out, but make the most of the opportunity? One difficult thing um, because of it was it really demotivated me from making music because I had this album ready to go, which couldn't be released. You know, what's the point in making music if it's not going to come out until two years later? It's like, you know, why bother? I couldn't do anything else. Like I couldn't release music under a different name. I couldn't like, there wasn't any workaround basically. So yeah, I ended up just not making music for a while. I don't know what else I did. I mean, I still had some shows and things, so I was traveling, you know, played video games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just yeah, yeah. T- Is that- I was just waiting, you know. It's, it's, yeah. it's very frustrating to not be in control of that kind of situation and you're waiting on other people to sort their things out. So all I could do was sort of resign myself to wait and push things on where I could. I'm glad it turned into a positive by being able to work a bit more on the album and change your team and now have your rights back which is fantastic and i think there is a a lot to learn about that but my final question on this note is obviously you were feeling like demotivated and kind of like the the second album where it was a bit like kind of frustrating is there anything in particular that kind of re-motivated you in case anyone's going through like a period of feeling a lack of motivation or feeling like brick wall by the industry is there anything you found that worked for you in those situations you know, that, that period was quite a difficult one for me and not just because of that happening with the album, you know, there were, there was other things going on. Towards the end of getting that sorted, I also moved house, got like my first house basically. It's probably not that great a solution, like, you know, it's not very helpful to say that, but it, it kind of helped me, you know, had this project to work on, building the new studio, doing up the house and, you know, getting the house how I liked it. So that helped take my mind off it for one. I think doing something to take your mind off problems is great. Problems you can't control anyway. So that helped me. And, you know, I, I was upgrading the studio and, and then being in this nice studio, which I put together and enjoyed being in, was really nice. And that led me to sort of rediscover what music I loved and get inspired again. That helped me quite a lot. Thanks so much, Shane. I started my journey by making music myself and I I couldn't think of anything more stressful, annoying and a lot of overthinking and thoughts going on in my head when something like that would arise. So I can understand maybe the vulnerability you you felt and maybe from even talking about it, how you could kind of feel again. So thanks for sharing it. And I do totally agree with like finding something, not that it takes your mind off it, but it puts your focus in a different purpose. It's quite, quite stoic in that sense, quite stoic from not not focusing on what you can't control but what you can control so thanks for sharing that graham i appreciate it yeah of course so we are coming to an end to the podcast so i'd like to thank you so much for being on the podcast and this is a question that we ask every guest and sometimes the answers are totally contradictory but that's how beautiful this industry is and everyone's own experience is different but this could be local to glasgow or scotland or maybe even global but what change would you like to see in the music industry in the next say three to five years i think in terms of touring it would be great if we could tour more efficiently with more of a mind to the environment and if sort of booking agents venues artists 
managers could all think of this when organising touring, I think that would be great because touring puts an incredible stress on artists, especially if you're flying to the US for one weekend and doing three shows and flying back on Monday, it kills you. Especially if you're even even mile up, you know, I'm, I'm probably like mid-level, you know, I'm still flying economy. If you're doing that like every couple of months, it's it's just, it's really unhealthy. So if, if we could plan tours to be more like, you know, you go to the US and do a few weeks and then come back and then you do Europe, and then, you know, or, or even like you go to the US and then you do South America and then, you know, just, just to make the flights work so that you're not crossing the world like so much. And, you know, it would reduce the carbon footprint and things like that. I think that would be that would be a great change for touring. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's conscious of how it all works, not only for you, but also the sustainability. It's like yeah. kind of Ecolo- just being ecology, conscious. Yeah, yeah. You call it. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Got it for me, Graham. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's being conscious of everyone being conscious of everyone's own health and well being, whether it is the artist touring, but their impact on everything. And I think it's a really interesting point how the a bigger discussion between booking agents with the venues promoters etc but on that note one question that just popped up when you were speaking about that was say you are in america for three four weeks is that like hotels every night or do you end up getting like an apartment or how does that work out of curiosity well i'm quite fortunate and i've I've got friends on both coasts in the u.s so if i got time off i can you know whichever i'm nearest i can go east or west but before that it was a case of like airbnbs or hotels so that can be quite expensive as well or of course you can fly home (laughs) yeah you can do your two gigs and then fly home then fly back again but that's just crazy you know with jet lag and everything in between yeah well thank you so much for being on the podcast graham i really do appreciate it i'll put links in the show notes to um the label to the album to the radio to everything but one also extra thing is what is the contact address for the label if someone listening now thinks i've got a demo or i've got a track that i think is perfect for deep state recordings yeah we've got an email address it's deepstatetransmissions at gmail.com i check it like once a week so i listen to everything as well so (laughs) awesome awesome i'll put that in the show notes and also let artoria know because he's looking to get some tracks to you (laughs) awesome okay thank you so much for being on the podcast graham it has honestly been a pleasure thanks for being so open and expressing your truth through how you write music through the process and an insight into touring so thanks so much for being on the podcast graham i really appreciate it yeah my pleasure thanks for having me so i'd like to say a huge thank you to grum for being on the show and to his management and team for organizing this as always and there's a great little bit of news here as you heard at the end i was getting the email address for artoria a few months ago of course for him to approach grum's label i'm now absolutely chuffed to say that artoria is well involved with the label and i believe he might have some music signed to the label which is fantastic it's great to see people in our community building that momentum and achieving those steps to their dream in the dance music world so kudos to each and every one of you who is putting the time and who's putting the focus in i'm really i'm right now of all times when lockdown is creating some issues good on you and i'm always here if you need the chat dm me on instagram at mr daniel fish so next from me is a video dropping on monday part two of how you can make money from music in lockdown if you aren't already subscribed on youtube please consider hitting that subscribe button and being one of my first hundred subscribers and if you do give me a shout and i'll buy your pint at ada or the next conference we are at 
So Your Music Industry is back on Thursday at 9am with another podcast exploring someone's journey, story and experience to offer insight to you in your own journey. So until then, you'll be hearing from me soon and don't forget, subscribe on YouTube.